This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on air community, and everyone's invited. Ramya's not with us today, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Kelly McDonald at the Home Studio in London, Ontario with... And I'm Brock Richardson from Kitchener, Ontario. Brock settling in, filling in. Toronto skyline, some of our nice column. Today, uh, kind of lighter gray fedora next couple hours. Brock, how are things down in Kitchener? Things are good. I am an uh, individual who is wheelchair-bound, and I am wearing... A multicolored dress shirt, which is buttoned up from all the way to my neck. And behind me is a bunch of different uh, sports memorabilia. So there's a variety of pictures uh, behind me because I am a sports lover, as you know from my Monday hits. So <laughs> that's what yeah. is behind me. So Brock is uh, one of our backup hosts, along with Danielle McLaughlin and Margaret Weldon, who will fill in when Rummy or myself is uh, unavailable. You can also catch Brock on the Neutral Zone, heard on AMI-audio Tuesdays, 11 a.m. in the morning, and available via podcast on your favorite platform. And we'll tell you a little bit later on what they've got going on, but you can catch them on YouTube as well. Uh, Brock, this is your first time settling in, so you've got the, the seatbelt on and ready to go? It is, yes. I uh, Full disclosure, I was supposed to fill in on Friday, and uh, I got the call this morning, and so those nerves moved up about uh, 48 <laughs> hours, but they're, they're good nerves. As an athlete, you enjoy these nerves, and uh, it'll be fun to be alongside you and uh, take the lead of the veteran one, Kelly McDonald. So looking forward Thank to you. the next couple of hours. Better to always jump into the pool right in that deep end. Well, unless you truly can't swim, of course. Let's take a look at what we've got coming up today on the program. On In The Know, Margaret Weldon examines today the downs and ups of setting goals. Certified financial planner Ryan Chin drops by to tell us all about the pros and cons of using credit cards. And on the program today, we get to know AMI's apprenticeship program with Alicia Yardley, Manager of People and Culture at AMI. We'll have that conversation with her later on in the show in hour two. So, Brock, a couple of things I want to get to in our discussion here at the beginning of the program. Nominations for inductions of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame are out now. Maiden, Rage Against the Machine, Soundgarden, The White Stripes, and Warren Zevon are being considered for Rock Hall induction. I'm crazy. The list includes a lot that might be stretching the definition of rock. Willie Nelson, Cyndi Lauper, A Tribe Called Quest, and Missy Elliott. The other nominees are Kate Bush, Cheryl Crow, Joy Division and New Order, George Michael, and The Spinners. Inductees will be announced in May. The induction ceremony will be in the fall. I'm Archie Zaroleta. 
Wow. I find it so funny how, like Kate Bush, for example, you know, you wonder when would you have been inducted at what point if your song hadn't become huge due to all those watchers uh, of television shows and, and just people sharing it right that right now so much. Um, you know, it, it's it's huge. And Brock, it gets wider and wider. Missy Elliott, one of the nominees in there. Interesting. Now, that's not to take away from the folks' music. It's certainly just when you hear rock and roll or hear country or hear jazz, you have that specific genre in tight in, in mind, Brock. And it's, you know, you never really, whenever you get nominated for something, no matter whether it's, you know, recent or long ago you were in the business, you always gonna going to be excited about the potential of, you know, being put into the Hall of Fame. It's always something good as athletes, as musicians, whoever we all want to be at a certain place at a certain point. So it's very cool for sure. Yeah. I, I think what they've done in Cleveland with the rock and roll hall of fame, what prestige it has, but yet still staying down to earth and in a, a place that you can appreciate these artists, appreciate what they do and the recognition um, and a little more timely. And now as we're seeing Willie Nelson, folks, we're, we're inclusive over there. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Brock, doing his first show with us as a backup co-host, I pre-apologize if the next item I've got sets him to tears. But I needed to get this out here for those of you who are fans of Dr. Phil. Daytime psychologist Dr. Phil McGraw will end his show after 21 years. Dr. Phil McGraw was a frequent guest on Oprah Winfrey's show and spun off to his own show in 2002. He has decided to end his run, but this does not mean the show will go off the air. He just won't make new ones. CBS Media Ventures will continue to offer reruns with occasional new wraparound content. McGraw, who is 72, says there's a lot more he wants to do, specifically primetime programming. He did not give details. I'm Margie Zaraleta. So, Brock, any tip to this? I mean, you, you know, I, I understand he's been working on contract stuff, so the rumor was. But have you had any inkling that he's coming to the end of wanting to do this, his run, the network, whatever it might be? Well, I really believe that when you hit the 20-ish mark, um, you start to kind of have the thoughts in your mind of, mm, am I doing this, you know, still? Am I still giving a lot, in Dr. Phil's case, to the TV world? I personally believe that based on content, Dr. Phil could be giving us content for a long time. But when you do something for a long time, eventually it kind of gets a little bit, like, mundane in that, you know, you've been doing this for so long in that, like, you know, it, it's like maybe I'm time to wrap this up. And so this is the case for Dr. Phil. I was under the impression he had a couple more years uh, left on his deal. So I kind of wondering uh, whether this was an early wrap on this, but it's uh, sad to see him go. But like like they said in the clip, he's not going anywhere because he's going to do some primetime stuff, which he's been very good at in the past. So I'm doing the math here. OK. All right, Phil, I guess I might follow 20 years. Oh, no, no, I hadn't planned to be here that long. Oh, anyway, I'll think about that as we take a break, ladies and gentlemen. 21 years, you start thinking about that stuff. Hmm? Grant Hardy, he's in here next, ladies and gentlemen, and he'll be here to talk the latest in health, lifestyle, and accessibility when he joins us in two minutes on Kelly and Ramya. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back.
This week, the Neutral Zone panel will discuss when an athlete's personal beliefs and their team's organizational views should or should not collide. This is sounds like a tremendous conversation these guys are going to be having. Uh, the Neutral Zone airs, as I mentioned a while ago, Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, also available as a podcast, folks, and you can find it as a video podcast as well. Uh, Brock, that must have been a pretty hot conversation for you guys. It was, and I'm going to tell you that uh, it was part of the last, you know, half of our show and at the very end i as host uh, got emotional because claire buchanan is a representative of the lgbtq plus two community and uh we chatted about the support we have for her so it was a great conversation and i really suggest uh you listen to it for sure i think that's wonderful when you guys get that opportunity to get into some of this stuff and those who haven't been in necessarily competitive sports you can lend this to so many other areas of life and where, as Danielle McLaughlin says, rights collide. And you guys must have, must have really burned up the airwaves really talking this. So, folks, check it out. That is The Neutral Zone. And, uh, again, you can subscribe to their podcast. You can hear them on AMI-audio and as a YouTube podcast. Let's bring on Grant Hardy, ladies and gentlemen. He's here to talk to us a little bit about health, lifestyle, and accessibility. Hey, I'm Grant Hardy, and welcome to the Headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramia. Mr. Hardy, welcome, sir. Nice to have you back with us. Life treating you well, pal? Uh, life's treating me pretty well. I got a quick question here. Can I get a hello from Brock? Because I'm not sure hey. I can hear you. Hey, how's it going, Grant? Okay, so Brock, our first subject is uh, tackling some myths about friendship. I consider you a friend, but for today, I'm going to be giving you the silent treatment because I can't hear you. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I love that buildup, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Yeah, I thought, okay, when's that shoe going to drop? Okay. All right, so he can he can hear you, Grant. So we'll we'll carry on and see if that can get sorted out, uh, if it's possible. Grant Mahardy, what do you got for us? All right, I'm kidding, of course, Brock. You're an absolutely you're a reasonable friend. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Um, I hope all so. right, well, I saw this in Well Plus Good. I'm also hearing my own voice echoing back. <laughs> We got all kinds of technical problems here today. Um, Giving you anything to throw you off today. We're just, we're just, we've got you just by the, the tail. They're saying, let's give them a hard time. So, you know, it's funny because we tend to date in this kind of serial monogamy way where, you know, we're, we're kind of okay with breaking up with a partner and maybe to the next partner with whatever but friendship is kind of an interesting one and in the absence mm. of clear rules or distinctions many people make assumptions about friendships uh informed by pop culture which doesn't always end up being accurate and we're gonna go through a couple of those misconceptions now if we can sort out the technical stuff. So number one is thinking you can predict how a friend is going to act. Uh, many of the friendship sabotaging behaviors uh, 
are rooted in the misconceptions that we have the power of fortune telling or mind reading. So for example, you may not choose to ask your friend if they want to hang out because you feel like it's too late. Uh, you want to send a you're on my mind text, but you choose not to. These are all cases where you're cutting yourself off from enjoying richer friendships because you believe you can predict how the other people will respond to your outreach. Uh, when you believe you can pr uh, predict how other people will respond to your outreach, you cut yourself off from enjoying richer friendships. And in fact, research has showed that we're very poor at predicting other people's behavior. Uh, what do you mm -hmm. think about that one, guys? It's an interesting one, I will say, because I was always raised, don't expect people to do what you would do. Don't count on that. Don't, you know, overestimate people that way and think, well, I would do it that way. Why wouldn't they? Um, and, and I think we do a lot of not wanting to make ourselves look bad, not wanting to offend people in, in one way or another. We're very conscious, which makes people just not make those steps because well, I don't want to sound corny, just sending a message. Hey, man, how's things going? I was just doing some stuff here and working and thought, gee, it's been a while since I've checked in and, and you know checked in on you. I think a lot of time people feel, well, is that just kind of weird? Um, we think too much at times, so we then it's safer in our minds, I think, Grant, not to make a move. Uh, Brock, do you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I think that I subscribe to the theory in life is that I'm not a mind reader. And it's so true because what one person may do or think doesn't mean that that's the way you or others think. I think it's easy right. for us as people to say, well, this is how we sh we should think. And I don't think there is a, you know, cookie cutter response of should. I think everyone's different. Everyone's the same. And just because someone does something differently than what you do, I was having a conversation yesterday with a friend about the idea that when you text somebody and a, a certain length of time goes by and you start to think, well, did they get my message? Did they yes. receive it? Mm -hmm. And so did I did I say something to upset them? And I think we catch we all catch ourselves in that moment where it's like, but wait, we forget that that person might be busy at one time or another. Yeah. And a lot of time you could send a message to someone asking something, not even asking. They're not, they're just, oh, that's nice. Put put it down, meaning to get back to you later with that message and things happen. Life happens, Grant. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you could hear what, what he was, what, what Brock I was, was saying, Grant, but for you. I was just going to say that I just read out a tip about not predicting what people are saying or how they act. I can't hear a word Brock is saying. So I'm now sitting here trying to predict what he's just said. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Another misconception is uh, thinking you should continue a friendship because we owe it to them. So this is called... Uh, emotional indentured servitude because it involves putting effort into a friendship as a way of paying off a supposed debt without receiving any actual benefit in return. Uh, people mm -hmm. actively labor in a friendship because that friend uh, was there for them during a difficult time, let's say four years ago or uh, whatever, and leaving them would feel uh, disloyal. But if you but if you were to imagine reversing roles in this scenario, it's easy to see why a friendship of this sort isn't actually beneficial 
for the right. receiving friend. Sure, sure. Uh, so, and, and understandable. And you're not doing the friend any favor, pretending to be or placating and going exactly along with it. this relationship. Right. Okay. That, that's exactly it. And in, in fact, if it was me or, or you, I'm sure, I think we would probably prefer, like, look, if you don't want to be my friend, let's just... Uh, yeah, move along. Move yeah. on. And and Grant, I think it gets complicated too when people feel guilt over it and their guilt comes out as I've got to make my list of complaints about the individual instead of just no, if you you're just not they're not your cup of tea, you're not hitting it off, move along. Yeah, exactly. Uh this is one of my favorite ones. Thinking that it's just too late to make friends. So one of the big misconceptions is simply the idea that you've missed the moment, says Jackson, Jack, uh, says Jackson, the friendship coast. In actuality, it is never too late to make new friends. If you think that everyone else around you just already has their crew, their friend group, take heart in this. Research shows that we replace half of our friends every seven years, which is to say we're all constantly uh, pruning our friendships, letting go of certain friends and making new ones throughout life. And that makes sense. Uh, you weren't the exact same person with the same interests or talents or like life circumstances, say 10 years ago, why should your friend group be exactly the same? So this one sure. is kind of an interesting one because I do feel that a lot of times people kind of you know, when you're in a grade six, you kind of listen yeah. to the same music. You talk about how you're more cool than your parents. You know, you've got the same homework to do. You've got this and that. And I think yeah. one thing that's kind of interesting is that in adult uh, adulthood, a lot of us kind of go like, oh, I don't have really a best friend because we don't always have someone that we have exactly those same amounts right. of interest with like we did in grade six we're all so and, and structures different. of relationships and what you have going on in your life from work to other interests to family change and dictate a different uh you know quality of life a, a, a different arrangement of time it's interesting because as you're talking i'm thinking of those points in life grade six you know the person you have is your best friend in grade six it may not be that closest person to you even in grade seven or or whatever but we have those pockets of life where you start school, you make friends, you switch over as somebody moves into the neighborhood, you get a little older, you make new friends in junior high, high school, college. And then there's that workplace thing. How much do you, you associate or what events or what if you have a hobby, you get out to a sport you play or something. Uh, maybe you join the railway group and, and do model trains or something like that, whatever it might be. And then there's almost a lull. I think as people get oh, to that yeah. level where there's just too much else going on in life and everybody has their set relationships. And I would suggest that probably as you get older and retire, you have time for things or when you move into a retirement home, that's when you make more yeah. friends. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing. And I think it's easy to get caught up. And I, I totally used to get caught up on, on this idea that like, well, these friends, you know, are on my, you know, sports team, they're on my sailing team or whatever, or these are the people I hang out with on the weekend, but like, they don't know my deepest, darkest secrets, or we don't listen to the same music. So are they really, you know, my BFFs? And I think it's just a, a really important to temper the, uh, 
those expectations a little bit and kind of just accept our adult friendships for what they are or not if you want to move on to other friends but but to not sure. put that pressure on yourself and and others and i think people do because it's somewhat of a i don't want to say status it just makes you feel hey you know nobody likes me you know if you don't have and that's not even remotely true yeah that's awesome great idea that's tremendous right. uh great we got less than a minute uh anything else on this uh let's see here let's see here uh i think just uh think you know in healthy relationships uh they they say that people grow people change uh coasting is not the same thing as growing in your friendship as well so kind of kind of going through things together is really fun and cool as well uh really great to be on sorry for joking with you brock really uh you're you're the best i was just trying to make light of a little technical situation here (laughs) well at our end we'll try to get things sorted so that uh, next time uh friday when brock is back with us you can hear him and when you guys get into a good conversation like we've had the privilege to have grant thanks as usual my friend we'll talk to you later okay cheers Grant Hardy joining us, reporter out in Vancouver for us with our latest trending headlines. Really interesting thoughts when it comes to that and our own personal feelings and uh, what what we look for when it comes to those adult relationships particularly. Up next on In the Know, Margaret Weldon examines the downs and ups of setting goals. We'll speak to her on the other side of the break. Please stick around. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. That's The Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Over there on AMI-audio, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. This week, Joita talks to Paralympic swimmer Danielle Campbell-McLeod about her new memoir that's out. That's The Pulse this Thursday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. Also available uh, on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Kelly McDonald here from the home studio, London, Ontario, and Brock Richardson. It's uh, time to get in the know with uh, Margaret Weldon today. Margaret, how are you? Oh, I'm okay, Brock, and how are you doing? I did Margaret, can you hear Brock? Yep, I I can. Can can you hear me? Margaret can hear me or Brock. We'll just see if we can get that sorted out uh, when we we get her. Okay. Hello. Let's see if we, uh, Margaret, do we have you? I don't know. I, I can hear you. Well, Brock, we'll uh, settle here and just give it a couple of moments and get some things sorted out. But uh, going back to uh, what, what what we were talking about with Grant and, and friendships, d- you know, I find as you get older, you hear people say, oh, I don't worry as much. And again, I think a lot of us will use that badge of courage. Oh, I don't care what people think of me earlier in life, as opposed to recognizing that it's okay if you're not everybody's fan favorite. And I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people to come to because we look at it negative first instead of maybe I don't have anything in common. Maybe I can only have so many relationships and put, you know, the time into growing those, making sure I check in, making sure, you know, I I, I care about what they're telling me when, when we are doing a check-in instead of so busy with my own thoughts. Yeah, I think to like to Grant's one point about it's not too late to make friendships. I got myself caught in that where it's like, 
you know, I'm 32 now and it's, you know, is it too late? And no, the truth of the matter is I've made a lot of my great friends later in life versus early on in life. You know, we had good friends when we were in elementary school and so on and so forth. But at the end of it all, those individuals tend to separate themselves. Um, you each go your own way and everyone kind of does their own thing. And uh, then you got to make friends. And it is hard to separate yourself and basically, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, Kelly, but basically be like, hi, I'm Brock Richardson. Would you like to be my friend? It's tough to do that. It's tough to do that. And you feel, I, I don't even necessarily think it's just having to say it. It's, we don't want someone to say, man, I got enough friends. I don't need another one. And I think in our heads, we feel somebody's going to say that or, oh, yeah, like Grant was saying, you know, maybe play along with you and really in their own mind, God, I don't have time to you know, nurture a friendship with somebody or or be picking up the phone when I'm in the middle of stuff. And that's just not me. I think also a lot of time people start as they get older, recognizing that, yeah, I'm not going to have the time for that. I do this. I have that. I'm, I love my alone time or gosh, I need more people around me and, and, and watch their demands on other people uh, that, that they want to have. Because some people really enjoy the company of others. And maybe for some, it's overwhelming. Maybe for some, gosh, Love that. Love our bond. Love the fact that I have that person that I can talk to that will, you know, listen to me and be there as a friend to, you know, kind of let me vent or or let me share the cool thing that happened at work today or my family and something really awesome we're doing and and you know or the big surprise my husband or wife, uh, you know, gave me. I, I think some people can really really appreciate that and all through their life try to make time for that. Brock, I I, I always. Think, and I remember doing this when I was, you know, in my 20s about friendships. And, you know, you stop and say, well, geez, how many really close friends do I have from when I was in elementary school? And again, yeah. some would say, well, of course, you're not going to have those. Come on. But, you know, some of the people that I did know, it it was tremendous and, and really wonderful. Uh, Brock, you want to try it? Margaret's there joining us right now. Margaret, are you with us? Isn't technology wonderful? When it works, yes, yes, it is. Absolutely. Uh, today yeah. we're, if, we're it, talking... has, it has a mind of its own. I'm convinced of this. Yes. It, it only wants to work when it wants to work and not before or after. Margaret, yeah, today... I, I, I think it's got some secret union somewhere, you know, where it says yeah. it's time to go on strike. We're going on strike because of one thing or another. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's paid its union dues today, that's for sure. Uh, That's right. Margaret, Margaret, today we're talking about uh, goal setting, and there are two dreaded words associated with setting goals. And why is there a problem with the theory, even though it's so popular? Okay, so let's tell you the two words first. The two words with uh, setting goals are New Year's resolution. Now, the thing is that it's so popular, um, it's a popular time for people to set goals because they're coming to the beginning of the new year, like it's automatically thinking that, okay, January 1st, new year, new start, right. new look, why not, why not try a new life, right, or try a new something new, try a new, you know, I've, I've always wanted to set this or that goal, so why not start it now? Now, the problem with this is, is that sometimes people have different reasons for setting goals, and mm -hmm. they also think that if, if they don't, and, and their friends tend to start setting goals on this date too, so maybe because they, they know they want to set a goal and they start it out on New Year's Day because they feel pressured by friends, 
family, you know, work colleagues or whatever. And that's the whole problem with the um, with, and that's why it's called the, the dreaded theory. And also because people start out with uh, setting goals enthusiastically and then, you know, they, they give up after about a month or so because of other commitments or no, maybe the goal setting process just wasn't what I thought it was going to be or that kind of thing. So that's why mm-hmm. we say that the two dreaded words are New Year's and uh, why this is such a problem, even though it's a popular theory. So, Margaret, is there a good or bad time of the year to set a goal? No, there really isn't, actually. I mean, you know, for some people, starting a goal on New Year's Day really does work. For other people, uh, maybe the, you know, may- maybe the springtime is a better time to start the goal because it just depends on what the goal is, or maybe they feel it's just better for them, you know, after the winter blues, and, and maybe that's the time they kind of start to think about summer and things looking up. Or maybe other people just want to start it on their birthdays for whatever reason. So, no, there is no good or bad time to start a goal. It just depends on what your situation is. And what are the steps we need to put into place uh, when it comes to setting a goal? Because I think it really feels like this big, broad, you know, oh, I got to set a goal. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to break it down. So can you do that for us? Okay. So, first of all, we should know that there are two uh, two reasons for setting, or two types of goals. There's long-term goals and there's short-term goals, okay? So, the long-term goal is the actual outcome that you want to have. Let's suppose your long-term goal is to lose weight, and you decide that, for whatever reason, 60 pounds is what you want to lose within a year. Let's suppose that you start on uh, January the 1st. That's when you're going to start. So maybe one of the steps might be for a short-term goal. You go and you consult your medical um, professional, whether it's a doctor, nurse practitioner, whatever it is. You go and you consult them. And maybe they say, okay, you might want to start out by learning by, by losing five pounds per month um, because that's a measurable goal, right? Right. And, and it's something that you can see in order to check, you know, in order, in order to look at your long-term goal. Other steps you might want to consider, um, you know, if you like two teaspoons of uh, sugar in your coffee or if you are one that likes a, a full chocolate bar every day, maybe start cutting back and, and having maybe the half a chocolate bar or, you know, one and three-quarter teaspoons of um, sugar in your coffee so that your system gets used to it so that you break it down. Um, and and that's, the, the, that's the one step. Another step here is to be your word. Now, Be Your Word is, uh, is a quote from Henna Khan, who I referred to in our last uh, segment. In our last segment, right. he is the uh, peak performance coach. Now, mm-hmm. Be Your Word means that you stay to your word. So let's suppose that uh, one of the steps is that you and your friend are going to go walking, you know, maybe one or two times a week. Or maybe, you know, one of the ways that you walk a certain amount of steps today is, um, you know, having one of those Fitbits or one of those uh, watch things. Okay, that's fine because you're being your word. But if you start mm-hmm. telling your friend no at last minute or if you start coming up with excuses as to why you didn't do something, that's not being your word. So those are kinds of things that, that, that you have to um, think about when you're also setting goals. You know, another, por- another important thing you need to also think about, too, are reasons for setting goals, right? Why mm. do you want to set a goal? Are you setting a goal because of your colleagues or your friends? Are you setting them because your medical professional told you to? Or is this something you really want to start? Because it doesn't depend on, it, it, you know, even though the, the reasons might differ, um, the chances of, of your maintaining that goal might also differ, right? So if it's, a, if it's a goal that you're following because your friends or family have talked you into it, chances are you may not stick with that goal. If it's something your medical professional suggests, 
you might have a better chance at it because you know it's going to give you long life. But if it's something you really want to do, you'll have the better chance of achieving that goal. Okay. So where we get into the be your word, when it comes to the, what you've just said here, you have to have your heart into it. So what are those steps, Margaret, that we need to put in place when it comes to setting that goal? Well, first of all, you've got to come up with your short-term goals, right? So like I say, with the, with the weight, maybe the one step is to lose the five pounds per month. Um, maybe, you know, maybe the, the another step is to change your diet a little bit. Uh, maybe a different step is to, you know, go walking or, or do some fitness activities. You have to make the, um, the task measurable for you. Uh, another important step, too, here is flexibility, um, because what happens sometimes is there are times when you might stumble a little bit. With, you know, suppose you go to a friend's house for a holiday occasion or just for dinner, and maybe you have that extra cup of coffee or that extra bit of sugar or, you know, that chocolate dessert. You have to say to yourself, that's okay, I stumbled, I got to pick it up, and I have to move it on right. to the next goal, I, you know, right? That's right. So, like, instead of just um, dwelling upon it or instead of saying, okay, well, I'm going to cut back double tomorrow, no, you just have to say, I stumbled, get on yeah. and resume your routine. And, because and, all these and, little and ones, the short term, are all your steps on the ladder, aren't they, Margaret, to get to that full goal? That's right. Yes. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And, you know, the important thing is to try your best to stick to that goal, right? And something also changes, too. Sometimes you might get to the end of the year, and instead of losing the 60 pounds, maybe you've only lost the 30 pounds. Um, you know, you can always revise that goal. Right? You can always change your short-term goal to, to something else or your long-term goal to something else. Right? You could say, okay, well, I lost the 30 pounds this year. It doesn't mean to say I can't lose the other 30 pounds next year. Right? Um, the, the, the trick is to, to set the goal, stick with it, and learn from it. Dr. Gordon Chang, who is a nutritionist and who has written many, many books on um, like the balanced approach of life and the balanced approach of setting goals, has said, even if you aim high by setting a goal, and even if you don't stick to it, or even if you have to change it, it's okay because it's better than not trying to do something at all, right? And, and right. It's, it's a yes. learning curve. It's learning about yourself. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think it is about learning about yourself, Margaret, and, and really kind of knowing what you need to do um, to, to better yourself. And, and like you said, not kicking yourself you know, and like, oh, I ate that chocolate. I shouldn't have. Darn me. You know, I, I feel bad for myself for doing that, right? Right. I bet you, Brock, as a professional, um, like, parasports person, you probably had many, many goals in life, right? And, and, and how did you feel? Like, you, you know, was it, was it hard for you to keep some of those goals? Or did you stumble a little bit? What did you do to, to, um, to, you know, to, to, to achieve the goal or to try and maintain the goals? It's funny you should ask that because, like, for me, I did goals all through my career. So it was never like, oh, you know, New Year's is the time to do it. We had to do it at the time that we needed to do. So, you know, for me, it was never a set time of year. It was whenever we needed to do it was when we did it. Um, and, I, and I never had a problem with it. But the losing weight goal has always been a tough one for me, for sure. Right. How about you, yeah, Kelly? Did you have a personal goal? Oh, sorry, oh I've had many. I've always yeah. had many. <laughs> Just different things, <laughs> especially with work. Meg, we're tight on time, though. Uh, where can we yeah. learn more about, uh, you know, taking okay, that balanced so this, approach uh, to life this, and setting okay, goals? Yep, the idea for this was put together by a, a magazine called The Tonic. So you can go to thetonic.com and, and you can learn more about setting goals there.
Awesome. Margaret joins us every other week for In the Know. Margaret, great conversation as always. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brock. Have a good show. That's really great. It really is pretty tremendous when you look at some of the goals and how overwhelming we can get when we want to do something and when we have to just take those moments and just restructure. And I love that. Reevaluate. We'll step aside for just a moment. We're going to make way for the shack. Bill's here for the Wednesday edition of The Buzz. We hope you can stick around too. Always exciting things he has to talk about right here on Kelly and Ramya. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. You can find Mr. Richardson at NeutralZoneBR on Twitter. I'm at AMI Kelly Mac if you want to uh, check in and say hi. And, of course, you can follow the program at Kelly and Rumya. That's the uh, Twitter locations. And please do follow and uh, keep uh, the conversations always going. We thank you for your time wherever you're checking us out, maybe around the world on AMI-audio, sitting around watching us on your TV from your couch comfortably right here in Canada, wherever you are. Hey, Thanks for being with us. Well, we know this guy joins us Wednesday through Fridays, Brock, to talk a little bit about this, that, anything in between. Let's welcome in Bill Shackleton. We call the segment The Buzz. We remind people to check out the best of the buzz through AMI Audio um, uh, podcasts. Uh, the first one uh, will drop this Saturday. First one the, at the first Saturday month, his newest one will drop this Saturday. So uh, I guess I should say, I was going to say, Billy, the first one of the year, but there's already been one out. Welcome back, sir. How are you? Not sure Billy's hearing me yet. We'll see if we uh, will get him in. Here. I'm hearing you. There he is. There he is. Now I'm hearing you. Shaq, welcome back. Uh, how are you guys doing? We're pretty hanging well, in, well. you know. You know, tech is our friend, of course, today, as we've mentioned already a couple of times. (laughs) What do you got for us, sir? Well, end of an era. Boeing bids bids farewell to the 747 jumbo jet. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, it's actually very interesting. Um, Basically, the last jumbo jet um, that was delivered to Atlas Air, um, I believe, in this, on December 6th. It left a factory in Everton, Washington. But actually, the era of the 747 um, ended long ago. As a matter of fact, Air Canada stopped flying them in 2004. Right, I Delta remember that. And, yeah, and Delta and United stopped flying them in 2016 or 17. But boy, I'm telling you, those things... They were considered to be the Queen Mary of the sky, and the mm. big thing—the big thing about them—is that they could carry over 450 people, and you know, assuming you could, you could get a seat on one of these things, and it it was really the luxury way of traveling, and you know, they were because you could get you know the fares were a little cheaper because they could get more people, um, yeah. you know, the top deck was fitted with fancy bars and seats and this sort of thing, and people got dressed up and. It was like an. It was a new era. It was a different era. It was an experience, wasn't it? Yeah, to get on yeah, one well, of those. Yeah. And they, and they were they went back. What Billy did it? Did it? Did you get an idea? Did these things? They were in the late sixties or early seventies. I think early they started 70s in the seventies, anyway. right? Yeah, in the seventies. Yeah, 
I remember getting, um, when I was at the blind school and I was in grade four, I think we went down to Toronto, into the airport, got in a hangar, and got to go and explore one of them. And it was just true. We were all over that plane, had a great old time running around. And knowing really we would very seldom would get the opportunity to fly, I think a lot of those were the overseas flights, weren't they? That at the time where those things were going, or across Canada kind of thing, the bigger, where we had a lot enough customers, but it could do the long haul. I remember being told that the amount of fuel was that of of uh, the the a swimming pool. That that's the amount. And I don't know how average at that time planes needed that much fuel, but I remember them talking about when we were getting our our lesson about it, um, and 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 really crazy information that we were told at the time when I was a little guy. It was it was phenomenal. So what an era, Bill. Well, I went to Vegas um, a couple of times, and I was lucky enough to be on one of these things. Um, you know, going back and forth from, um, and it was, they were mind boggling in size. I mean, these yes. things were bigger than a hockey, longer than a hockey rink. The tails of these things were six stories tall. And it was like, how can you get a thing into the air that big? And it was just, you know, I, I, and I, I, I shouldn't possibly be saying this, but how, if you can't see that, you couldn't see how monstrous and gigantic these things actually were mm -hmm. were they loud when they were in the air um no not really the problem is they no. had four yeah. engines um yeah. yeah the problem is they were of course very very fuel inefficient and right. the the smaller jets well first of all the jumbles couldn't land in a lot of airports so passengers had to go to a main hub to transfer to a smaller jet to go where they wanted to go. So they become they became very inefficient. And, and I think even costly. the ones you could go to, Billy, the run, they had one runway or yeah, so that could take right. them in on, I believe. Right. Yeah, and and, right. and it was the width of them, Brock. You know, as you get on, we know we have the middle aisle seats now in so many different different planes. But this was so wow, you knew, oh my goodness, look at this. And as Bill said, that upstairs alone. Yeah. yeah and like, um, go ahead. I'm still kind of I'm still kind of stuck on the uh, gasoline being as much as in yeah. an average pool. Like that's a lot yeah. of gas. Oh, yeah. That's you know. Yep. But when you got to carry something as big as that with you know uh, many people on it, four hundred and what? Bill, ten people? I think they seated. They could four ten. I think was four, the number. I believe it's four or four fifty or four ten or four twenty something like that. That's yeah. Just nuts! Wow. And on those big trips, they were always full. So really sad to see that in a way, Bill. Yeah. But reality is, as we sit here and talk about it and point out the different things, you, you, what you hear screaming in your head is, inefficiency, get it yeah. out of the oh, sky. Yeah. That's right. No, for That's sure. Right. Like and the, like with the planes, they're around. Well, yeah, I, I, but even that kind of stuff is coming back. But with planes, because the servicing and everything, they can stay in the sky so long that those those calls have to be made. You know, this plane can be up there still, but it's older. It's got a lot of miles on it, and it's a it's a gas guzzler or whatever complaint you want to have about it. Cool, yeah. Bill. Um, sad to see that happen, just because, of course, our it's nostalgia for us. Uh, next it item is next item is really interesting here. Secret menus tell diners of workers migrant workers' plates. So basically, oh, wow. this is kind of from the Toronto Star. Mm -hmm. When you go to a restaurant, um, perhaps in Windsor or Ottawa in, or Toronto, you know when you sign a QR, um, when you scan a QR code to, to see what's on the menu, 
a lot of these uh, restaurants are when you actually you're directed to a web page of the the migrant workers alliance and basically what they're you're going to get the menu item but you're going to get a short story about how the how these menus are so when you talk about cornbread you'll get to this web page and you're going to get the story about how migrant workers are working on a sweet corn farm in this province or somewhere and how the employer failed to create safe working conditions and didn't call an ambulance when people were sick. So basically, that's one story. When you scan for pizza, you're going to get a, 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 a story about migrant mushroom workers who are working under proximity, close proximity, and becoming ill. Mm. So essentially what you're getting is not the restaurant menus themselves. You're being full, you're being directed to a web page. Now we, you know, it's it, we we've talked about migrant workers. There's over six hundred thousand come to this province, this pro province every year. But do you really want to go? I mean, it's a trick, and and you want to scan the menu. Do you really need a story about these people? I mean, they're trying to promote unsafe working conditions, and they're trying to you know draw attention to the fact that these people want safe haven in this country and other countries but i kind of i think it's kind of a uh, do we really have to do it that way i think people need to know people have to understand yeah they i'm do. not sure that this is a beneficial way to get the word out there um where it doesn't make the restaurant or whomever take it on the chin brock i think that if you read this it, it, it would put you off it would upset you you, you, you might even get up and say I, I don't want to be here. It might be misdirected where your reaction to it. And, you know, you could say, well, I'm not eating your food if you get it from, uh, you know, I think these things definitely need to be out there. We need to understand. We need the media. I, I don't know if I consider that the warning like you get with cigarettes or something like that, but people do need to be apprised of it, Brock. There's no doubt that people need to be apprised of these things. But as Bill was talking about this, the first thing that came to my mind uh, phrase was time and place. And I'm not sure that this setting we're discussing of it being in restaurants is time and place. I understand the point of it is to alarm people. And certainly that is, you know, that is alarming some of those statistics. I'm just not sure that the end, you know, desire is to have people, you know, get up and walk away from situations. And I, I go back to guys, time and place, and I'm just not sure this is the right time or place. Billy, how does that information get placed? I mean, are are the websites the ones you hit that QR code? Is there a, 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 is this hacked into, or is the restaurant fully not, full knowledge of when people order this meal, this is going to happen, so that they understand the the working conditions people are put in to get these mushrooms for them? Yeah, I I wasn't able to find out whether the restaurant was aware of that. Um, but volunteers have been putting up these fake QR codes, so it's very possible. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, I don't know whether the restaurants knew or not. The article didn't say. Um, mm -hmm, but I'm sure mm -hmm. if they knew, they would probably have something to say about it. I mean, you can't do yeah. that, right? Well, and and I think, I, I, I'd like to believe the restaurants themselves have no issue with people being aware of some of the things that are going on. You know, we see a lot about avocados and how much we love avocados. But to get to us from Mexico, 
there's a lot of death and a lot of blood um, to, to do that because of the illegal work that's being done. And I, I think that is kind of what we need to understand because we can sit here so far removed from these places. And and some of this stuff, let's, let's, when I say so far removed, I mean in the sense of our knowledge about it, even though it's going on, maybe just outside your community, right? And the circumstances that people are having to work through, like you said, the proximity to, to the mushrooms bill. So yeah, that's a very interesting piece. Um, your next one, sir, we have a couple of moments. Well, we can get to this one. Um, teens among officials to mishandle secret documents. This is from the Canadian press. So basically, the National Archive in the U.S. that handles um, this sensitive material is asking any official to re-examine their papers to see if they have any documents that have mis that have mis you know been misplaced. So Joe Biden and um, former Vice President Mike Pence apparently they have found some secret documents. They didn't say where, but in their possession. And the scary part is a teenager actually found some documents that her father had found in a hotel and that was misplaced by former press secretary Jody Powell. And oh, wow. the, yeah, the kid brought them to a party at school as show and tell and the teacher <laughs> recognized them and phoned wow. the authorities. Can wow. you imagine? Yeah, these secret hmm. documents, you can't leave them lying around. It's yeah, interesting it how that stuff. Sorry, go ahead, bro. It would be interesting. Like the way you found out about this is someone saying, like, look at this. This is what I found and I'm bringing it to show and tell. And someone goes, <laughs> yeah. wait, wait, what? What? Hold on. What is that? Like, you know, like it would just be wow. Like I, I'm sure I had a, it was written all over my face. As you can see, it's like, wow, that would be. Uh, yeah. That would be something. Especially sure. when the FBI arrest comes, you know. <laughs> would you please, teacher, come along with us? Who gave us to you? That child over there. Would you guys all come with us for a little discussion? Um, and it, it is so crazy because we're hearing a lot about this bill, uh, documents that ex-presidents, current presidents, uh, well, what are you doing with this at home? And again, to us, we may stop and say, yeah. Why would that be at home? Why wouldn't it be under, isn't it security, you know, whatever level of security it's supposed to be hidden behind? And I don't know because I don't know. It's like anybody; they must do work at home. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the the books that I've read about these things, you can't leave the building. You mean these things should not no. be allowed to leave the building yeah. at all? No, you'd think not. Awesome yeah. stuff, Bill. Great variety of stuff. We'll talk tomorrow. We'll talk tomorrow. Bill Shackleton, he arrives Wednesday through Fridays in this time slot. We call it the Buzz Week. Chat a little bit about things he brings to us. He'll do the same, as mentioned, tomorrow at this time. Coming up, though, folks, in the next hour of our program, a certified financial planner, Ryan Chin, drops by to tell us about the pros and cons of using credit cards. And we get to know AMI's apprenticeship program with Alicia Yardley. But up next, folks, we chat with Don Barden who's doing his doctoral thesis at Cornell University and his focus about women leaders. Stay tuned. We'll get into that in a moment. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.